Hey guys, it is great to be here and uh, great to be before you. It's kind of weird. Uh, I am preaching in my office with no one around. So here's what one of the things that I'm going to ask you guys to do. There's going to be a few points during this sermon that I'm going to ask you to put up a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I think you can do that, uh, especially if you have used um, Zoom before. So can everyone just see if they can find the thumbs up, thumbs down button? Or you can just, as you know, as Swen is doing, you can just give me the thumbs up. That's great. That'd be great. Oh, I'm also going to ask you at one point to put a comment in the chat section. So um, that will be great too. Thanks, guys, for that. We're going to look at Joshua 3 and Joshua 4 together. Um, but So make sure you have your Bibles open. That'd be great. But I'm going to pray and then, um, then we'll jump in. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I pray that as we look at your word today, that you would uh, speak to us through it that you would help us to see that even though this, this story is from 3,000 years ago, that it has not only relevance today, but it can change our lives today. Help us to have a great big picture of you that will stir our hearts and motivate us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things I'm, I'm doing at the moment is uh, watching all my favourite movies uh, with my kids, the, the, the movies that I saw when I was a kid, and uh, we're watching it, to, uh, you know, watching it all, them all together. And one of, the, one of the movies I've seen this year or in the last year with, with my kids is, uh, is The Karate Kid. I wonder if you like The uh, Karate Kid. Give us a thumbs up if you do. I love The Karate Kid. And uh, there was this one part of the of the movie where, if you remember it, Daniel LaRusso, it, it, it's late at night. He's getting beaten up by a bunch of old, uh, a bunch of bad guys. And then in the background, you see Mr. Miyagi jumping over the fence. And I, I was watching it with one of my kids, uh, Niels, and I said, look, what, what is he going to do? And, and, and I remember Niels saying, I'm not sure what he's going to do. He's really old. You know, the, the idea is that old people can't really do much, especially if you're in a street fight. The, the, the question under Neil's question is, is Mr. Miyagi, uh, do, does he have the power to affect what's going on in this situation? Or is, is Daniel LaRusso doomed? I, I think we ask a similar question of God a lot of the time. Is God powerful enough to affect my world, my life, and my world. So, so, so we, we think of our situation. Maybe there is something in your life that's not going according to your plan. You may be asking, has God got the power to affect positive change in this situation? Maybe you're looking around at the whole COVID situation. You go, well, God doesn't seem really powerful at the moment. Or maybe you look around at our culture and you see Christianity and the church on decline in decline in our culture and you just think well is God powerful enough to call people to know him and love him or maybe it's more personal for you maybe there's something that you have been praying for for months years and maybe even decades and you're asking the question because God hasn't answered those prayers according to what you would want you're asking the question is he powerful enough to do what I'm asking him to do. 
Uh, and they, these are not questions of unbelief. These are questions that believers ask. So if you have asked these questions, the, yeah, they're not, they're not a cause of concern. In fact, all throughout the Bible, the people of the Bible ask these questions. And I dare say, if you were part of Israel in Joshua 3, you'd be asking similar questions. Uh, imagine you're in Shittim, which is about five, five k's away from the Jordan River. At one night, you take a stroll. It's, it's a chilly spring evening. And you have just heard that a bunch of spies, Israelite spies, have come back from Canaan. And all Canaan is shaking in their boots because Israel is coming. And yet, you've got questions. You, you hear the raging waters of the Jordan River. And you're wondering, how are we going to get across that? Then you think of the armies, the Canaanite armies that, that you're going to face. And you're going to go, well, we are a small nation, a, a small group of people that have been just walking around the desert for 40 years. Well, we, we are trained warriors. Is God powerful enough to actually bring us into this land and give us these victories? And then you think of Joshua. We used to have a great leader in Moses, but now we've got Joshua. He's really unproven. And can God work through him? Is God powerful enough to do what he said he would do? He promised 500 odd years ago for Abraham that he would give us this land. Is he powerful enough to do that? And then you look around, and as I said, they're at a place called Shittim, a place where in Numbers 25, they rebelled against God. And so not only the question is, is God powerful enough to do what he said he was going to do? The question is, how will they respond? Oh, and so we're going we're gonna to see those two questions. We're going to see how is God powerful enough, but also how they should respond in this passage. We're going to see three things as we look at this passage. We're going to see preparing for God's miracle experiencing God's miracle and the meaning of God's miracle, preparing for God's miracle, experiencing God's miracle and the meaning of God's miracle. Let's have a look at preparing for God's miracle in chapter three, verse one. Please grab your Bibles and read it with me. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have been, never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark and do, do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things amongst you. Now, now he, here they are, and they are meant to 
follow the Ark of the Covenant. The, the Ark of the Covenant was this kind of wooden box. Uh, you know, it might have been a couple of meters, uh, a meter and a half long, uh, and, and it was covered with gold. It had two cherubim or angels on the top. And this was a visual representation of the fact that God was with his people. It, it, it showed that God's presence was with Israel. It contained... Um, the Ten Commandments, a few other things, and they were meant to follow it. They were following it because, as I said, it represented God's presence with his people, which showed that God was leading them into the promised land. But do you know, do, do you see that they are meant to, to keep a distance? 2,000 cubits. Now, we don't think of cubits. We don't measure things in cubits anymore but a cubit basically is from the tip of your finger to the bottom of your elbow that that's what a cubit was it's about a thousand meters so they're meant to be a kilometer back from the ark of the covenant why is this it is because that god is a holy god and they are sinful people and so this is meant to represent that god is a holy god that distance between the ark where God's presence is and themselves. Not only that, if they're a kilometer away, and as the, the Ark of the Covenant carried by the priest goes into the Jordan River, and they see, they would see from the banks of the Jordan River, a kilometer away, the miracle that God does. So being a kilometer away gives them prime position to see this great miracle. And what are they meant to do? Verse 5, they are meant to consecrate themselves. That is, they, they're meant to make themselves spiritually ready and spiritually holy. In the ancient uh, world, war was an act of worship. And, and so they needed to be purified. They needed to be consecrated, which, is, which involved a bunch of rituals, including a washing and a, and a bunch of other things that they had to do. And then God, uh, Joshua speaks to Israelites. Have a look at verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan. Its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Here is Joshua speaking to the people. And, and did you see the three different names that he gives God in, in this section? Have a look at it with me. Have a look at verse 9. First of all, in verse 9, he says, it's the Lord, their God. That is, this God, the God who has created everything, is their personal God. They are, they know him, and they are his chosen people. Secondly, have a look at, uh, at verse, the, the next verse, verse 10. Their God is a living God. Now, now notice what, what they're going that this living God is going to do. He is going to drive out before you all those all those people groups, those seven people groups. And, and, and what, what I think Joshua is saying here is this that the God 
you serve is the living God, unlike the gods of, of the nations. No, those, those gods are gods of stone and wood. They're not really living, but, but guess what? Your God is living and therefore he can do what he said he will do. He can give you this land. He can drive out those people. Yes, your God is a living God. And, and finally, verse 13, he is the Lord of all the earth. He, he's not just a, a, a petty tribal God, a small little insignificant tribal God. He's not just the God of a city. No, he's the God who rules the whole earth. He is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He is your God, the true, the living God. Now, I'm not sure if you uh, have seen Crocodile Dundee recently. Put, put, give me a thumbs up or a wave if you have. Or if you like it, why don't you give me a wave? I actually like uh, Crocodile Dundee. Uh, in, in the first movie, Mick Dundee, the... the, the the main character is asked if he is afraid of dying. And here's what Mick Dundee says of dying. Nah, I read the Bible once. You know, God and Jesus and all them apostles, they're all fishermen just like me. Yeah, straight to heaven for Mick Dundee. Yet me and God, we be mates. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I hear that, I just think that's a typical Aussie response to God, isn't it? Me and God, we be mates. It, it gives the impression that God is, is a lot like the guys I hang out with at the pub or playing golf or going to a cafe. Meaning that the God of the universe is, is a lot like me. He, he, he's a lot like me. And we, we'd just be fine. But can you see the way that Joshua describes God and how that is so much different from the way we think about God? No, this is the God who rules the nations. This is the God who created the whole universe. This is the God that we don't think is just a mate. No, this is the God that we fall down and worship. This is not the God that we shape to fit our lives. No, this is the God who we shape our lives to fit him. God is the one that spoke the universe into existence. I speak to my dog and I can't get to sit all the time. And so why would I tell God what is up with the world? No, he tells me. God is the God who rolls away the Red Sea. He, ro roll, he will roll away the Jordan River. He rolled the stone away from the grave and yet as as a country, we can't even roll out a vaccine properly. Why would we say to God, guess what, God, you should listen to us. No, we are the ones that bow the knee to our God, to this great God. When you think of, of your life and you think of this great God, do you bow the knee to him or does he have to bow the knee to you? Because if you're coming to him and saying, God, you have to bow the knee to me, guess what? You've got it totally wrong. Here is the God who we bow the knee to. Here is the powerful God, the God of the whole universe. And this God is the one 
throughout the centerpiece of his plan, came down and died for us. Which shows that he is for us and therefore his plans are actually good for us. That is the God that Joshua worships and is speaking about. That is our God, the God we worship and we speak about. But this is the God who still acts powerfully. And so let's look at our second point, experiencing God's miracle. Experiencing God's miracle. Now, now this section, if you're taking notes, we're going to look at, we're just going to pick the eyes out of this section, but it's from chapter 3, 14 to chapter 4, 14. Now, as Steph was reading it, especially chapter 4, I wonder if you got the idea that it's kind of, it's kind of a little bit confusing to follow the story because what it seems to do is go go back in time and kind of replay events and all this kind of stuff and it's kind of confusing in fact I've, I've read a bunch of stuff this week on this passage and a lot of scholars will say you know the guy the historian who wrote Joshua kind of just grabbed these kind of two disparate accounts of this event and threw it together you know kind of in a hack way much like a uni student would throw together an essay a quarter of an hour before it is due in And yet, when you read the rest of the book of Joshua, you see the historian who wrote Joshua is a very careful writer, a very careful writer. He uses different genres very well to communicate his points. So what is he doing here if he's not a hack, which I don't think he is? What I think he's trying to do in this section is take us back at some points or reiterate different scenes from different angles to say, hey, you've got to really pay attention to this. This is really important. It's a bit like a lot of movies do this. And what I want you to do is is write down in the chat to see if you can remember some movies that play a scene or multiple scenes again from multiple uh, multiple angles to say, hey, this scene is really important. It, it happens in Ocean's Eleven as you know you 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 see the heist happen and then you see it again from. The, the people, you know, George Clooney's perspective. You see it in Run, Lola, Run or Pulp Fiction and many others. And, and so that, that's what he's doing here as he cycles back over this story a few times. He's saying, you've got to really pay attention. And so let's pay attention to it now. Let's have a look at uh, chapter 3, verse 14 with me. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carry the ark reach the Jordan and their feet touches the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water was flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of, of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now, now one of the things that we've got to get is that in, in our day, water is generally a fun thing to do. Like some of us love going down to the beach or we go to wet and wild or we go for a swim at the pool or something like that as a kid I used to go down to the river and swim a lot but but back in the ancient world 
a river or a, the sea or a, a body of water was a scary thing. It, was, it represented chaos. And, and so the question is, when, you're, when you've got a, a bunch of water ahead of you, can your God actually rule over this water? And, and not only that, if you have a look, what is happening to the Jordan at this point in verse 15? It's at flood stage. So it's not just this nice, gentle strain. No, it's a torrent that historians say it, it, it may be a kilometer wide at this point. And this raging torrent, can God actually come and do something? Can he stop the Jordan? Can he get uh, the Israelites through it? And absolutely he can. Can, what, can you see as soon as the priests who carried the ark, their feet touched the water, it stopped. And where does it stop? It stops about 25 k's down, downstream at a place called Adam near Zarathan. Now we know we don't really know where Zarathan is, but we've got but we do know where Adam was. And, and can I just say this? One of the one of the interesting things about this is that around the, the, the town where we know Adam was, um, the, the Jordan has extremely tall banks, which they were liable to collapse and block the Jordan River. It happened uh, that the, the damming of the Jordan River happened in uh, 1267 AD, and the Jordan stopped flowing for 16 hours. It happened also in 1927, where the river was stopped for 21 hours. And so this kind of thing happened a lot. And it doesn't matter whether God chose to use natural means like this to accomplish his purposes, or in some supernatural way, he created this barrier in the water, an invisible barrier. God still worked a miracle. The miracle is that as soon as the priest feet touched the water the water stopped and did you see how how much it stopped have a look at verse 17 and see if you can see what what the author is saying how much it stopped verse 17 the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the lord stopped in the middle of the jordan and stood on dry ground while all israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground see that he repeats the phrase on dry ground twice to say this is such a miracle that god turned a raging flooded torrent into dry ground into dry ground but not only that the israelites were also meant to re remember this miracle have a look at verse uh, verse one of chapter four when the whole nation had finished the crossing of the jordan the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you are to stay tonight. So, so here they are meant to actually take these stones and create a memorial. And why? What are they meant to do? Have a look at, at, the, uh, at verse 6. What are they meant to do? They're meant to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are meant to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And so they are meant to remember this into the future because God 
did such an amazing, miraculous thing. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, the noted atheist and, and a, a great science and math professor, a Christian named John Lennox, had a number of debates, a number of discussions. And I can remember Richard Dawkins really pushing um, John Lennox, uh, and he said, you're a great scientist. How can you believe in the things of the Bible, the, the miracles in the Bible? He said, you believe that a virgin gave birth. You believe, you, you know, Jesus walked on water. You believed that water turned into wine. How can you believe that as a scientist? I mean, it's totally mind-blowing that you will believe that. How can you believe that water can turn into wine. And, and, and John Lennox said, well, well, Richard, I absolutely do believe that water can turn in, that Jesus turned water into wine. Because I believe that Jesus created the universe. And therefore, turning a bit of water into wine is a piece of cake. You see, we believe in a God that does great things. Do you believe that God is a powerful God that still acts today? Because the God we worship is the same God that stopped the flow of the Jordan River. The same God that we worship is the God that rose Jesus from the, raised Jesus from the dead. So, see, as a church, we don't want to see a flooding river stop. No, we want to see a flood. We want to see a flood of people come to know Jesus. And so we want God to move miraculously in our city. And what that means is that we have to believe that God can do that or we won't act and we won't step out in faith. We won't pray for this thing unless we believe that God can do it. I remember uh, speaking to an African pastor when I was at college. He was a guy who, get this, in 10 years, he started a movement that planted 1,200 churches, 1,200 churches. And I can remember asking him, I said, what, what is the biggest difference between pastors in Australia and pastors in Africa? And he said the biggest difference is, is this, that pastors in Africa believe that God is powerful. In Australia, I don't think you guys do. And I was blown away. I said, what, why, why do you say that? He goes, if you did, you would pray more. You would tell more people about Jesus. You invite people more. He said in Africa, they actually believe that God can move. And therefore, their churches are radically different. They're not embarrassed by the idea that God can move powerfully. And so I want to ask you, do you believe in a God that can move powerfully? Do you believe that a God who can work miracles? Now, I'm not saying that God can work all the miracles that we want all the time. But God is still a powerful God. And so if we believed uh, that God is still powerful, that he still acts powerfully today, we would pray more. Because we believe that the most powerful thing that we can do is ask the most powerful person in the universe to act. If we believe that God can do is still powerful, we would tell more people about, about this great, powerful God. And we would also invite people to, to be part of our church, to be part of what God is doing here. 
Do you believe that God is a powerful God that still works today? The, the reason why they were meant to remember those, uh, you know, have those memorial stones there was to remember that God is still a powerful God no matter what is happening in their lives. Do you believe that? We have seen the, the God who works a great miracle. So let's have a look about the meaning of God's miracle. This is the third point. Have a look at verse 19 with me. And let's look at the meaning of God's miracle. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their people, their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea. When he dried it up before us until we crossed over, he did this so that all the people of, of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Now, now, what are the responses to this great miracle? Did you see how there's three there? In verse 24, we see he did this, God did this, so that all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, might know that he is powerful. God acts in this way so that people would know he is powerful. And secondly, so that... You might, Israel, you might always fear the Lord your God. You might be in a position where you are in awe of his, his power and what he can do. And finally, we see in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, we see all the kings are melting in fear because they believe that God, the God of the Bible is a God of power who acts today. Once again, I want to ask you do, you, do you stand in awe of God? Do you believe that he's powerful? But I think there's also another application point in this for us, especially us as parents. Have a look at verse 20 again with me. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the, crossed the Jordan on dry ground and so on and so forth. The whole point is that these memorial stones were meant to be a point where the parents taught their kids about God. Imagine you are an Israelite 20 years after this and you go for a walk in Gilgal National Park and, and your child points to a bunch of stones and says, hey, hey, what, what are these stones for? You're meant to actually talk about what these stones mean. But in the original, that question, what do these stones mean? It actually uh, ha has a little bit knocked off the end of it in, the, in our English translation. It literally says, what do these stones mean to you? So it's not just this recounting of what God has done, but how what God has done has changed your life. Parents, can I ask you this question? Are you 
using your time to tell your kids about what God has done. You may not, we can't go to ancient Israel now, or we can't go to Israel now and see those stones. Those stones are long gone. But you've got the Bible. And, you, and we've got so many kids' Bibles today. I want to challenge us as parents to, to every night to, to read the Bible to our children, to remind them and us of what God has done, to pray with them. In, in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, that's what we're meant to be as parents. We don't, we don't outsource our, our kids' beliefs and knowledge of God to the youth group or to kids' church, even though the youth group and a kids' church are going to learn about Jesus, and it's a great thing. No, the main responsibility for the teaching of our children about God is us. And so how are you guys going with that? One of the things Kate does so well, uh, I'm, I'm still learning from Kate about this, is, is just peppering everyday conversation with the kids with, uh, with references to God. Um, she will say, when the kids say something like, oh, I, I really like, I don't know, this food, Kate will say, isn't God great? Isn't God good that, that he gave us you know, grapes or good food or whatever it is? And she will say that. And, and that's gotten into uh, my kids' heads so much so that the other day as I was teaching Neil's guitar, he, he, he looked up with a big smile on his face and he said, isn't God good that he gave us music, Dad? What we want to see is we want to be a group of parents here at Marsfield Community Church who, who are using every opportunity to teach our kids what the Bible means to us, what God means to us, so that they will grow up to know and love Jesus. How are you guys doing with that? It, it, it's not too late to start. If you've got teenage kids and you haven't been doing that, you, need to, you might need to sit down and say, sorry, I should have been doing this the last 13 years, but we're going to start now. Now, maybe you don't know where to start, which Bible, please come and see me or, or contact me or Tim or Kate or Liz. We would love to help you out. But there's a second point of application, I think, from this passage, from this section. The Israelites had these memorial stones to remember what God has done. Why? Because it's so easy to forget what God has done in the hustle and bustle of everyday life, isn't it? It's so easy to go about our work or, or, or our family lives and forget or not have it at the forefront of our minds. Now, as I said, we don't have these memorial stones. In fact, uh, you know, even if we did, we would have to go to Israel to find them. But we have something, I think, better. We have church we have church where we can gather together to remind each other of, of the great things that God has done. And, and right now we are gathering together just to do that. We, we sing God's praises. We hear from his words. We pray to him so that once again, we remember what God has done. We, we, we keep reminding ourselves that we worship this great God, this God who rules the universe, rules all creation. 
we remind ourselves that that is the center of the universe, that he is the center of the universe, not the things that worry us. But because when you are reminded of this God who saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, who, who stopped the Jordan, who, who cast the nations out from Canaan as Israel came in, who came in the person of Jesus, who carved the raging sea, who died and rose again. When you're reminded of that, what are the problems in your life and my life? Well, they are nothing that this great God can't handle. They are nothing that he can't deal with. And so, brothers and sisters, let's not neglect meeting together, but let's come together to be reminded of all that he, he has done, of not only the, the God who calms the raging sea, but he actually defeated Satan, sin, and death on the cross. This is a powerful God we serve. This is the powerful God we, we pray to. This is the powerful God we sing to. This is the powerful God that we give our lives to. Let's pray. Father God, help us to remember and to live out the fact that you are this great God who has done all these great things for us, that you are the God who has acted in history. You are, power, you are all powerful. And Lord, I pray for, for us that we would be people who not only seek to remember what you have done for ourselves, but you, especially us as parents, you would help us to pass this knowledge on to our kids that they will grow up to know and love and serve you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.